0: your brain. episode number 58 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, your tour guide here, David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio. This is going to be my year-end slash winter Christmas episode number seven, where I'm going to have featured reviews of Troll Hunter from 2010, as well as The 2020 release of Blood Vessel, that the movie actually is from 2019, but you know, it's getting its release this year. And then also in this episode, I'm gonna have mini reviews of The Mist, The Ship of Monsters, Don't Listen, Blood Quantum, and The Mortuary Collection. That'll kind of round everything out there as I'm still trying to, you know, get as many 2020 rewatches and as many new ones as I can before, you know, the year ends when I make my year end list. I don't really have a whole lot to kind of get you updated on here. I know with work things are kind of slowing down a little bit so it's allowing me to get a little bit more watches in and I'm trying to also use some vacation days so that also kind of helps with you know being able to watch movies but what I'm going to do is before I get you over to those mini reviews is send you over to a musical break and I just want to say I hope you enjoy coming on this journey with me. My first mini review here on this episode is going to be The Mist from 2007. This is written and directed by Frank Darabont, who adapted this from the Stephen King, I think it might actually be a novella. And then this stars Thomas Jane, Marcia Gay Harden, and Laurie Holden. This is a horror sci fi thriller that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.1 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a freak storm unleashes a series of bloodthirsty creatures on a small town where a small band of citizens hole up in a supermarket and fight for their lives. Now this is a movie that I first heard about when I knew that it was being made, I was pretty excited. I had already read the source material from Stephen King, and I was curious as to where they were actually going to go with it. I'm pretty sure that I picked this up on DVD, but had been some time between that viewing and this one here, because I originally saw it in theaters. Now, it was also on a list of ones that I needed to see that I hadn't for a while for the podcast Under the Stairs and her summer, summer Challenge series, so I'm still working through that while we're here in December. Now, the main character is David Drayton, who is portrayed by Thomas Jane. Now, he's a movie poster artist, and so he goes in with his son of Billy, who is Nathan Gamble, and they also go in with their neighbor, who he doesn't really necessarily get along with, who is Brett Norton, who is Andre Brager. Now, it's when they're there that they're not the only people that have the same idea, and they end up getting trapped inside the store as this unknown mist kind of rolls in, and a Dan Miller, who is Jeffrey D. Munn, shows up with a bloody nose talking about there was something in the mist that took one of his friends, and we get to hear people screaming. So they all kind of hold up inside of here, and then we get to really kind of see society break down and what people end up doing when... You know they're stressed out and they need some sort of thing and part of this is that they have a mrs Carmindy who is hardened, who's a religious nut from the town and then we just have a bunch of other people here and we get to see as i said what people do when stressed and really don't have a government or anything to kind of keep things in line now i really like the idea that the short story novella of being trapped, you know, in this grocery store. To be honest, though, I don't remember a lot from the book outside of the major plot and how it ends. Now, I do know that the ending of this movie is way better, and even King agrees with that and kind of wished he would have came up with it. But I say Frank Darabont does justice to source material from King, and he's done some really great adaptations for sure. Now, what I really like about this movie is a look at society and what happens as humanity falls apart. Now, in the beginning, we have David telling people that there's something outside of the back doors. Now, we have, like, Jim, who is portrayed by William Sadler. We have Myron, who is David Jensen, and the store manager don't believe him. Now, they're shocked to learn that they're wrong with what happens to Norm, who is Chris Owen. Everyone thinks that they're right, and this really causes a divide with Brent as well as... Some other people as he believes that he's having tricks played upon him because him and david don't really get along going along with this idea as i've said we have mrs Carmody. she's a religious zealot at first no one really believes or buys into what she's saying as things happen she gets more and more followers even those that don't at first come around in the end to her side of things and a lot of this is just interesting thing to play on for me is that When humanity is faced with mortality we turn to something for answers which in this case is religion even though some of the things she's saying isn't necessarily right. She has such a strong personality and it is hard to not listen to what she is saying. I'm really glad that they got an actress as strong as Harden to play the role as well. She does a great job. Now something else that really works for me are the subtle things that we get throughout to help piece things together later. We learn about the military base across the lake. We learn about a project arrowhead is something else that comes up but no one really knows what it actually is then there's a private jessup who is sam Whitwer, as he's then is him and his military buddies are in the grocery store there's an mp who is amin joseph as well to help build on these things as well now there this leads to some cosmic horror and love elements which i'm a sucker for so i'm glad it is here the ending also makes or breaks it for a lot of people. I personally love how bleak and depressing it is. For me, that works with everything that we get leading up to here for sure. I think I'll move this over next to the acting. We have a great cast here across the board, but I will say I'm normally a fan of Jane, but I do think that he's not as strong in this movie as those around him. He doesn't give me as much emotions as I think he's trying to give. Harden, though, is amazing, as I've already said. She plays Mrs. Carmendy so well. Holden is solid along with Brogger. I really like Jones in his role. That's Toby Jones. I think he's great as this like assistant manager in this movie. I've already said before, I think he's a really underrated actor, and I've never really seen him have a bad performance. Then we have Sadler, DeMunn, Francis Sternhagen, and the rest of the cast just round this out for what was needed. Now, I will take over to what most people really have their issues with, which are the effects. The common information that I see is that this was intended to be black and white originally, but that got shot down which that would hide a lot of this i haven't seen it that way as of yet though but i do have it on you know my to-do list at some point before i pass away i will say that i've seen some more cgi than what we're getting here i do do i think it's all good no i do think that there is some bad cgi for sure we're just getting a little bit of both in my opinion i'd also say that this movie is shot very well so that's a plus in my book on top of that So I really like the concept that we're getting here with trapping these people inside of a grocery store and mixing in some Lovecraftian, you know, cosmic horror. Seeing what people do when society breaks down is something I'm a big fan of. I believe that the acting is pretty strong here across the board, even though I think Jane is lacking a bit there. The effects aren't as bad as some people make them out to be, but there are are issues there with it. Aside from that, I think the two-hour runtime works and the soundtrack fits for what was needed. I also love the bleak ending that we get here as well. For my rating, I come in here as this being a good movie and would recommend it to horror fans. I'd even recommend it to non-horror fans as well. as If you're a Stephen King fan, this is definitely a must-see for you. So I came in on this movie with an 8 out of 10. And then up next is my journey through the odds movie here of The Ship of Monsters from 1960. This goes by the original title of La Nave de los Monstruos. This is directed by Rogelio A. Gonzalez. And this comes from a story by Jose Maria Fernandez Usain. And then the, the adaptation from that story is Alfredo Valera. And then this stars Elio Gonzalez, Ana Berta Lepe, and Lorena Velasquez. This is a comedy horror sci-fi film that is from Mexico. And it is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.4 on letterboxd with the synopsis being two extraterrestrial women are sent on a mission by the regent of venus to search for a male of another planet now this is a movie i'll be honest i'd never heard of until i was looking through horror movies that were released in the year of 1960 i thought that the two featured reviews on this episode that this would pair up fairly nicely to keep up with you know that journey through the odd stuff that i've been doing and i keep bringing up here now just to give a little bit more information we start this off on venus where we have the regente who is portrayed by consuelo frank as she is sending her best woman of gamma who is lepe to find males as the last of their race has died i found this interesting for the fact that there are so many sci-fi films with the previous and even in this era where man is working towards wiping themselves out because they're too war-minded and this is what has happened on venus There was a nuclear scourge where only women are left. Now, joining Gamma is Beta, who is Velasquez. She is descended of a race of vampires from Uranus, and I'm taking that she is also half Venetian. Now, their mission is to collect men from different planets, bring them back to Venus so they can be used to mate, and then help repopulate for future generations. Joining them on their journey is a robot of Tor, who appears that the males created him and put all of their knowledge before they died out now the mission runs into problems when their ship has mechanical issues on their return back to venus they've collected mails from different worlds and then different types of aliens as well now their ship issues cause them to land on earth until the repairs can be made on earth they meet a kind of ranch hand who is loreno portrayed by gonzalez and then he actually wishes upon the spaceship as it's crashing to earth as he thinks it's a shooting star now he is wishing for a wife And then we get to see that he has a solid singing voice through a couple different scenes in this movie. He's also an embellisher as we get to see what happens when he tells some stories at a local bar. He is entertainment, but he does get under the skin of some of the people. And he's also raising his kid brother of Choi, who is Alberto Davila Jr. Now... While the repairs are being made Loreno encounters Gamma and Beta they take a liking to him and end up staying with him as he teaches them about love and this causes Beta to want to keep him for herself now she also kind of lashes out and attacks a man as we get to see that she is a vampire now this causes her to be sentenced to death and she takes matters into her own hands as she releases the other males to help her take over and rule earth like the males of venus tried to do now gamma and loreno with the help of tor need to do what they can to stop them before it is too late now that's where i'm gonna leave my recap and i'm gonna be honest here this movie is a bit cheesy but i found it interesting that the director of gonzalez did this intentional uh, at least a little bit this movie feels like it should have been from the previous decade and he wanted to show that they could come up with a fun sci-fi film and intentionally left like wires and some of the cheesy effects in there that take out the realism of everything Now, since that wasn't an intention, I can't hold that against the movie too much. And then since it's also listed as a comedy, as one of the genres, that also makes sense. But what struck me is the social commentary that we have here. The first bit is that I was shocked for me to learn early on that the men of Venus have wiped themselves out for their affinity for war and power. This is a direct comparison to the Cold War and what the world was going through at the time. This sparked the sci-fi boom, of course, of the 50s. And I do like that they also included the people of Venus Don't Know What Love Is. They're mating as part of procreation only now that makes sense the different and types of and odd types of aliens males that are being kidnapped and brought back it doesn't matter what they look like since they're only mating to continue on with their species being the more advanced with than humanity love and religion would be phased out since they're illogical and i can dig that idea going along with this are the aliens i can get behind the type of species here I feel that this movie is ahead of its time as Gamma and Beta have succeeded in finding viable options. Coming from Mexico, the movie explicitly points out that Mexicans are a combination of Spanish, Native Americans, and Caucasians. The women of Venus originally planned to mate with three or four species that they're bringing back that are not necessarily humanoid. That is a legitimate mixing of different species in this case, or in my eyes, doing what created the Mexicans that we have today. It is interesting that there's a lot of people in this world that want to keep pure-blooded races, which is horribly racist in thought and practice. I like seeing a movie that is 60 years old being progressive. Earth wasn't even an option at first to take species back, even though we are most close to these people of Venus, and a lot of this could be that they're less advanced than the other aliens in the movie, and, you know, which I love seeing as, we're seen as primitive, and personally, we haven't got much better in my opinion. Now, since I've covered a lot with the aliens, I'll go to the effects. They are quite cheesy, but I like, as I said previously, that they're done this way intentionally. I'll give a slight pass for that and i do like the practical effects of the aliens that we get as well it is from 1960 so we didn't have a lot that you could do with non-practical yet they look distinct and the care into the backstory intrigues me i mean i could have seen more of just learning about them because we get kind of just brief little things here and there aside from that i'd say that i thought that the technology available to gamma and beta was solid the cinematography also worked for me and i like what they do with beta for her vampire fangs they look quite creepy now, I'm not going to delve too much into the acting here as González seemed to be pretty popular in Mexico. I didn't look too much into this, but he's com- credited as Pipeiro on the poster and in the credits. He has a few singing scenes, which I don't necessarily care for, but I'm assuming that's what he was known for. Now, he has a good singing voice, though, and I think he's pretty funny with his joke delivery. Lepe and Velasquez were both Miss Mexico at one point just different years, so I can see that why they were cast and the reason for their outfits. They're both fine in their performance, but I give the nod to Velasquez, as I love the villainous vampire that she does as her turn. The rest of the cast was solid for what was needed, and I give a shout out to those that played creatures. They looked cheesy, but they did bring them to life. So as I said, I've kind of already delved into everything I really wanted to go to here. The movie definitely has its flaws, but I still had a lot of fun with it. Overall, I would give this an above-average score. I can't recommend it to everyone, but if you enjoy movies that are like low-budget like this, especially ones that are sci-fi-based, now, I did watch this in Spanish with subtitles on, so if that's an issue, I would avoid this, and it was also in black and white. So if those aren't problems, I would definitely give this a viewing if these are, if this is your type of like subgenre. But as I said, above-average movie for me, I came in with a 6.5 out of 10. And the next movie that I watched is Don't Listen, which is under the original title of Osius. From 2020. This is directed by Angel Gomez Hernandez, who also helped come up with the story, and this is based on an original idea from him. And then also along with this is Santiago Diaz, who actually wrote the screenplay, and then helped come up with the story along with Victor Gato, Juan Morano, and then Victor Gato also came up with the idea with Hernandez for the original idea. Now this stars Rodolfo Sancho. Ana Fernandez, Ramon Barria. This is a drama horror thriller that is from Spain and it is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being Daniel and Sarah have a nine-year-old son of Eric, and they've just moved to a new home, not knowing that the neighbors call it the House of Voices. Eric is the first one to notice, and odd noises behind each door. Now this is a movie that I checked out as part of wanting to see some films that other people were high on when it came around to rounding out my year-end list. This one popped up on Mark Nato, who is a friend of mine on social media, and he had it pretty high up on his list, so I figured that I would give it a go. Now, just to give us a little bit more information here is that we have the family of daniel who is sancho and then we have his wife of sarah who is balin fabra and then their son is eric who is lucas blas now he's not coping so well that they've moved into this big old house as daniel flips them and that's where he you know makes his money is they move into it they live there he will do all this work get it ready to go and then we'll sell it now they have a psychologist that comes who's portrayed by beatrice Orjona. now something ends up happening with her when she leaves and we end up getting to learn with her time with eric though that he's been hearing voices that keep him up at night and this is causing him to draw some weird drawings and then she ends up crashing her car and he end up drawing a bloody branch which is very similar to what happens to her now he's been hearing voices over a walkie-talkie that him and his father use to kind of communicate now something tragic does happen to Eric, and this causes Daniel and Sarah to kind of reevaluate what they're doing with their lives and if they can stay in this house or not. And this will lead Daniel to reaching out to Irman, who is Barria, who is an expert in EVP phenomena, and he also brings his daughter of Ruth as a tr- who is Fernandez as a who is actually a skeptic. I should point that out here and they try to start investigating what could be happening in this house and it's much more than they bargained for which leads them to learn about its dark past and why it's called the house of the voices now i don't necessarily want to go into spoilers at all for this but i kind of wanted to get you up to speed here What i really want to comment on is this movie does really well with some foreshadowing stuff they start this off showing us a dirty swimming pool and that comes into play later then we have irman who we actually see him very early on um, in the movie on television And I figured we'd come back to him later, so I thought it was pretty strategic that they're pointing these things out early on without making it too obvious and then strategically coming back to them later. But what really strikes me about this movie is how heavy the subject matter that it does. Now, this movie goes to some dark places, but it avoids doing it in an exploitation style. But we have some very depressing things, and it can be a trigger for some people, but it does spur Daniel into what he does and how he deals with things as the movie goes on. And then we also have the idea of suicide, that it's something that's happened and it's tore apart Herman and Ruth. They're still close, but there's a dark secret that no one really speaks about and they just kind of ignore it. And this movie kind of deals with that. And then the entity is pushing people to suicide for many of them. And it's quite convincing that the lengths that this creature will go to convince them. Now, this movie shocked me at a few times in a good way for sure. And again, I don't want to spoil anything with what the entities are in this house, but it's something that I'm a huge fan of, and it makes a whole lot of sense realizing that this is from Spain because it, this is a country that has its own dark past with how they handled certain things. What is interesting here, though, is that we have someone who wasn't killed unjustly. The entity is somebody who deserved to die, as weird as it is to say. But they were doing some evil deeds, so their execution does make sense. I just think the execution might have went too far with what they've done. Now, where I think I should go next with a movie called Don't Listen is that the soundtrack. I'll be honest, I don't love the title. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the grand scheme of things, but it really just isn't a viable option to prevent what is happening. Now, I'm assuming that the translation would be voices, but that's a bit generic, and I know there's at least two movies that I own that are in the horror genre with the same title. Regardless, I like what they're doing with the static here and how it's telling Eric horrible things, and then it branches out into others. The sound of the static is just something creepy with me nowadays, thanks to a lot of movies that I've seen. There are a few set-up jump scares, but they were pretty effective, and one of them got me for sure because I wasn't necessarily expecting it. And I also think that the musical selections work to its advantage for this movie. With this title, if these weren't effective, it would have been a major letdown for me for sure. Now, since I've started talking about the scares, I'll go over to the effects. To be honest, the movie has some really good practical effects. The opening death looked really good, and I like the look of the entities that we get here. They are quite creepy, and they do another scare with a strobe light that was eerie. And on top of that, they use in these infrared cameras to help try to capture something supernatural and i think there's some creepiness that comes with that there is a bit of cgi but it looks fine as for the most part it's really just there for enhancement and not the focal and i can get down with that for sure and i'd also say the cinematography is well done i really liked the depth of focus that they play with here now you really need to pay attention to the whole frame as they like to hide things in the background which makes me uncomfortable in a good way and the last thing I kind of want to go over would be the acting. I thought Sancho and Fabra do really well as coming off as these loving parents. And then they have this tragedy that happens where it turns them into grieving parents. And I think that they, you know, I believed them and it made me feel for them as well. Bloss is fine as their child. I really like Berea for this role. At first, he doesn't necessarily want to help, but then he becomes pulled in by the facts He also has some trauma to deal with as well. I thought Fernandez was good. She's quite attractive, but I like her being the counter to her father and not necessarily believing and everyone that played the entities did really well in being creepy and along with the rest of the cast to round this out for what was needed. So I'm really glad that I didn't sleep on this movie as seeing how high it was up on this list made a lot of sense to me. I think this is doing some really good things. There's some good emotions, has some dark subject matter and dealing with things like that. Really made me uncomfortable with what they did with the depth of focus the truth of what is happening here and what the entity is forcing people to do i also like the soundtrack and the sound design i don't really have much negative here to be honest to say so overall i rate this as a good movie bordering on great and it's definitely going to be contender for my year end and i came in with a 9 out of 10 on this movie and then i'm going to go over another 2020 release that i've already gone over previously on episode number 38 which this was the movie that I'm referring to is Blood Quantum. Now just to kind of get you back up to speed here is this is from 2019. But it got its 2020 release. And then it's written and directed by Jeff Barnaby. It stars Michael Greyeyes, Ellie Maja Tailfeathers, and Forrest Good Luck. This is a horror film that is from Canada that is currently sitting on a 5.6 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis is the dead are coming back to life outside of the isolated micmac reserve of red crow except for its indigenous inhabitants who are strangely immune to the zombie plague now i'm not going to do another like mini review like i did previously for this one or kind of go into everything because you want to hear my full thoughts i would go check out that other episode but what i really just kind of wanted to go over here is that there's just some really good stuff about this movie i really like the social commentary that this movie is playing with where we have These Native Americans who are pretty marginalized and this whole plague has made them become back to where they kind of rule the land because they can't be infected by this virus. I'm a big zombie fan, especially when it's done right. So I do like that they're playing with this idea here that they are immune because it does make it interesting where, I mean, they get bit quite a bit. And I mean, there's even a part where somebody is offering themselves up as like a human shield while they kind of try to stop everything. This is definitely one of those movies where they think they kind of have a, a plan in place, but the people aren't really kind of working together like they should be, so it does kind of fall apart on them, which, I mean, you come to expect is really delving into some of the social commentary here with the Native Americans and having their issues with alcoholism and, you know, drug use and everything like that. I really like that these are fast-moving zombies, but that's only until they start to rot away, which then makes them into slow ones. thought that was kind of a cool thing to play there. And it's just interesting as well is that there's something that happens in this movie where a zombie is tossed into a place where people that can be infected, and that's not dissimilar to the whole idea of like the settlers when they were coming here and bringing you know blankets with smallpox on it to help wipe out this population. It's very similar into you know playing with that idea, and it's kind of interesting who's the one behind it because it definitely is a role reversal there. But I also just kind of like is that. They have this settlement set up and you would think that the way they've got everything planned that everything is going to work like that but these people are just not really following the rules that they're trying to set in place so things fall apart fairly quickly for this whole thing and i do really kind of like how you know that kind of plays out and i do think this is still a good movie i have come down on it from my you know original viewing here is that originally i was sitting at an 8.5 but it has come down to an 8 and at this moment it actually kind of fell out of my top 10. Just because i feel like there are some stronger films that were sitting behind it so it's one of the reasons i wanted to give this a rewatch. i am kind of bummed that it did fall out but this year is a little bit stronger than i realized so i'm not overly surprised there and the last movie that i watched for this week is the mortuary collection from 2019 this is written and directed by ryan spindell it stars clancy brown caitlin custer and mike c nelson This is a fantasy horror film from the United States that is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being an eccentric mortician, recounts several macabre and phasmagorical tales that he's encountered in his distinguished career. Now, for this movie, I heard about it around Halloween, and it was one that I was intrigued to check out. I knew this was an anthology, which when done right, I'm usually a big fan of. And I also got the chance to hear an interview of the writer and director of Spindel on a podcast, and hearing how passionate he was about the project, it really made me wanted to see it. And then on top of that, most everybody that I've heard talk about this movie was pretty high on it, so that boded well for me. Now, we are in a mortuary that is located in the town of Raven's End. It's actually in the woods, just on the outskirts of it, and we get to kind of get introduced by a paperboy by the name of Bill, who is Tristan Bayan. Now, he gets spooked by the guy who runs the place of Montgomery Dark, who is Clancy Brown. Now, Bill drops his camera, and Montgomery ends up keeping it when the kid leaves. He presides over a funeral for a child. And then afterwards, he ends up encountering this young lady of Sam, who is Custer, at the showing room. Now, he's asking her if she's there to show her respects, but she's telling him that, he's there, that she's there to answer the ad for a job that is on the sign outside. Now, he takes her into the office to kind of... You know, do the necessary paperwork and everything like that and she inquires about all the books and this is where montgomery tells her that they contain all the stories of how and why people end up coming through these doors now she wants him to tell her a story he's reluctant at first but he ends up giving in And then this is where the movie is broken up into four different stories of this anthology with the wraparound being montgomery showing around sam now the first tell has emma who is christine kilmer as she goes into a bathroom now there's a knock at the door and she tells the guy that she will meet him in the veranda in 10 minutes now she notices a weird slime on the light switch and we see that that she is not alone in this bathroom and she's up to no good and then she you know has to deal with what is there then the next one is a story at a fraternity where we have jake who is jacob elordi now he has quite a success with the ladies and then things all change though when he meets a mysterious yet beautiful sandra who is emma horvath now they hook up and she wants him to wear a condom when he doesn't he gets a horrible surprise as the tables are turned then we have a newlywed couple of carol who is sarah hay and then wendell who is Brock hardley things went south pretty fast for their their new marriage now carol is in a comatose state and wendell is struggling not only to take care of her but also to pay the bills for her treatments that is until a dr harold kluber who is nelson offers an alternative and for the final story we have sam taking the reins as it turns out she did know the little boy whose funeral just happened She tells the tale of what happened the night he passed away and the riot that was on the newspaper headline at the local mental hospital. Now, things aren't necessarily as they seem as Montgomery is impressed with her storytelling abilities. Now, what I will say is that this anthology feels a lot like Tales from the Hood in that we're in a mortuary the tales are mostly being told by our mortician and then the final tale involves our character much like that one did that's not really a bad thing as i'm a fan of tales from the hood so taking a page out of that book is doing something right for me and then we also have like these tales of people that have come through this mortuary for their final resting place this one is also in the veins of Creepshow as well, in that all of the shorts are written and directed by the same person. So it's all one singular vision. Now, I know Creepshow obviously was written by Stephen King and then directed by George A. Romero, but here Spindell wrote and directed everything. And these stories all have that vibe of like the old EC comics as their cautionary tales. The movie is smart, though, in that Sam calls out Montgomery for a couple of the stories. The first story is quite short compared to the others, and Sam states that she wants more. It is fine, but nothing special. That's kind of what her, you know, thoughts on it was. As they go on, though, I like the meta approach where she is critiquing the stories and kind of the subject matter to it, which is kind of a cool thing to do since Creepshow is hard to top as one of the best anthologies ever, so if you can kind of do a little bit different take on it, I am a big fan there. And the last thing is that I think we have a nice combination of stories here with the subject matter. We get a bit of cosmic horror, which is a subgenre that I've gotten into a lot more lately, and I liked seeing that. Then there's also a bit of creature feature here. There's some social commentary of flipping gender roles. I like that we have a couple and how wild things end up there. There's a bit of the supernatural I can appreciate. The final story, how it ties in with the wraparound really completed the movie for me. Now, what I also would like to say here is that this movie takes place in, like, the 1950s or the early 1960s, but it still has a timeless feel, though, as it doesn't shove it down your throat, but there are just some subtle nods with some of the technology and things that we see. thought the acting was good across the board. I love Brown taking on this Montgomery role here and then being our storyteller. He has such a great screen presence, and how he plays this role is perfect. And then there's another—this is another character that I would not be mad to see if they had another movie of telling, you know, more stories— I thought Custer was really good as well. Her character has a change by the end that worked for me. And I also like that she calls Montgomery out and brings, you know, some sass to the role. Now, she does pull a meta aspect on top of it, which, aside from this, I thought that was good. And then I think the rest of the acting was well done. Being that it's shorts, I think that the writing helps to establish the characters and their performances convey what they need to in a shorter amount of time for the effects of this movie i thought the practical ones were looked good there was a lot of gore and a fair amount of blood that i was kind of surprised by and there's some creature effects that were well done what doesn't necessarily hold up for me is the cgi there was a few times where i could tell that they were doing stuff on green screen it didn't look great and i think there's also a bit of just cgi throughout the rest of the movie that doesn't look as bad to me but i'm still not a fan when i do notice it so I do think that this is a really good anthology. I was really impressed with it and one that I would like to come back and revisit you know, down the road just to see where I would land you know, after that second viewing. But after this first one, I'm coming in with a 9 out of 10 on this one and this is going to be another contender for my year end list. And then what I'm going to do now though is that's all the mini reviews that I have and I'm going to get you over to the trailer of my first featured review. <laughs>
1: Nå skal vi da til en gård her oppe, hvor det har vært eh, noe på lokalnyhetene om hendelser. Folk vil alltid prøve å finne naturlige forklaringer på sånne ting. Men hvis man oppsøker
0: åsted og leter etter spor, det er det ikke vanskelig å finne ut om det er troll som har vært på ferie. Hvorfor
1: skal ikke folk få forvinne hva som foregår her? Hvorfor skal ikke folk her? Nå.
0: Tror du Michael må av seg til første forsøk? Tror
1: du Det är er ingen här som tror på Gud eller Jesus. Nej, det är er ingen alls som. Vad heter det? Kristvarsbro. Vad är det gäller tiden för han kommer eller tror du att kärsam filmas? Det är just genom lärorna sättet. Kuliga träbärg trols också också. Kan vi försän se här Thomas? Nej. Frågar du honom. Du så där. Löpp, för fan! Kom nu, väck! Du, jag ska falla in det, alltså. Nej! Muslim, yeah, Muslim, yeah. <clears throat> Muslim. Take that. All right, okay.
0: And for my first featured review on this episode is going to be Troll Hunter from 2010. This goes by the original title of Troll Jurginen. This is written and directed by Andre Overdahl, and it stars Otto Pespazuren, Robert Stoltenberg, and Knut K- narum as well as glenn erlin toasterud johanna morak thomas elf larsen ermila berg domas hans morten hansen elric bich Inge eric heinlundsen tom tom jorgensen benedicti Albert ringness magni savekasland Torund Loderman Stokland, and Finn Norvel Overdahl. Now, if I butchered any of those names, I do apologize. <laughs> those were some fun ones to do, and I've, you know, there's some letters I don't recognize, you know, from the English language. And then this is a drama fantasy horror sci-fi thriller that is from Norway, and it is currently sitting on a on imdb and a 3.4 on letterboxd with the synopsis being a group of students investigate a series of mysterious bear killings but learn that there are much more dangerous things going on they start to follow a mysterious hunter learning that he's actually a troll hunter Now, this is a movie that, I'll be honest, I had never heard of until my sister randomly introduced it to me, at least the title. I feel like I saw the case at Family Video, and from the title, I figured that this was going to be super cheesy. I knew that many people were pretty high on this movie when I got into podcasts, so I made sure that this is one that I added to a list of films to see, and I'm getting around to it. As I did know that there was a bit of snow in it, so I figured I could use it for my winter criteria here on the podcast. Now, just before I jump into what the movie is about and my analysis... The director of Overdoll is someone that I'm quite interested in seeing more of their works. Having seen this, I've watched all three of them that he's done in horror with The Autopsy of Jane Doe and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Now, he does have 12 total directing credits on top of that. Now, as for a writer, he has seven credits to his name. Now, this is the only one that he's written that is in the genre. Now, one of our leads is Pespasaran, as he has 17 acting credits, with this being the only one that I've seen and then the only one that's actually in the horror genre. And then much less experience is for Tasterund, who has three credits in acting, much like his co-star. I've seen him in this, and then this is the only one in genre as well. And then finally, I'm going to do this for Morak, as she has 19 acting credits. Aside from this one, I did see her in Cold Prey 2, which is a pretty solid follow-up kind of slasher film that I believe is also from Norway, so that's kind of a cool thing there. And I know I originally said who starred in this, those weren't the last two names that I provided, but they're the ones that are in this movie way more than the ones that IMDB was giving to us. Now we start this movie off with some text that this footage we're about to see was received in an anonymous package on 10-13-2007. They don't know the validity of what they're about to show us or who sent it, but it's about 280 plus minutes of footage on two discs that are full of this, and then it's been compiled together chronologically. Now, we're following what I take as Volda College students who are out to make a documentary. They're following this mysterious hunter by the name of Hans, who is Jespersen. Bear hunting in Norway is quite regulated, so all of the hunters know each other, and none of them know who Hans is, so he's believed to be a poacher. The crew is made up of Thomas, who is Tasterund, and then he's the one that's doing most of the on-camera interviewing. Now, Johanna, who is Morik, does the sound, while Kelly, who is... Larson is holding the camera. They track down Hans and ask him some questions, where he ignores them and then asks them to go away. They continue to follow him, and this annoys Hans, who tells them to stop. Things all take a turn when they follow him into a restricted area. Now, there's a gate with a sign on that says no trespassing, and it's a blasting zone. They go in despite what it says, and they get a glimpse of what Hans is really hunting, which is trolls. They don't necessarily believe what they see, but Hans allows them to follow as long as they do everything that he says. And he's also quite adamant that none of them can be Christians either. The deeper that they go into this, the more that that it annoys the government officials who are secretly part of the TSS, which is the Troll Security Service. They don't want the knowledge of this being filmed. Now, Hans is concerned about why the trolls are leaving their area, and this brings him to one of the oldest and biggest trolls of them all. And when i say all this i don't mean you know internet trolls i mean legitimate trolls if you didn't catch my drift on that now that's where i'm going to leave my recap of this movie and then to delve a little bit more into this we have a found footage movie if you didn't know i knew that coming in but the opening texas movie really reiterates that and i will say i wasn't sure if this is going to be getting snow or not And it's a little bit of cheat on my end for the winter idea as this really is like the last 15 minutes or so of the movie but what i will say is we do get to see some amazingly beautiful landscapes from norway that there was sometimes where i was just kind of getting lost in what they were showing us in the background and i have to give them a lot of props for that because it was kind of cool to see all that now to really get into this though i love the idea that Overdoll is doing here we all grew up knowing fairy tales And what not talking about trolls. This movie gives us a very serious look at them as a creature. Hans doesn't have much in the sense of humor department. So when Thomas, Johanna, and Kali make a joke, he responds very sternly and takes them seriously. The jokes from them really end though once they see the truth. I also love the care that I was putting in to make these trolls look as real as possible. Hans relays information about them being like animals, and then there's this aspect taken from stories that are incorporated in as well, which really works for me as well. Like There's one that's being underneath a a bridge, which is what we all kind of know there, and just some of the looks about them, um, that the sunlight can kill them. Just stuff like that that I think is a kind of a cool touch to play with. The bit with the veterinarian to help explains even more of what kills them and i liked what they were going with there and explaining as to why the sunlight does kill them as it appears it's like a vitamin d deficiency which i thought was kind of a cool thing there's also this cover-up aspect to the story the social commentary here is that the government knows about this but it isn't sharing it with the public we see the angle with the bear and how that's a part of it and i like how to see how deep this goes as well Now, I've talked with friends where we all think that, to different extents, that there's probably things that the government knows about that they don't necessarily share with the general public to avoid panic. Do I believe that there's mythical creatures running around everywhere out there? More than likely, there isn't. But I do believe that if there was, I could see a secret group that is handling this. It just has a sense of realism that cover stories would be made up where a logical explanation might fall a bit short. It really does make me wonder when a tornado or a natural event that is a little bit too convenient without real proof could actually be you know, causing some of these things and there could actually be more to the story. Now, since I've been bringing it up a lot, I will go to the effects and cinematography here next. The trolls are CGI. It would be a bit difficult to have them done any other way, especially with how large they are. Now, for the most part, though, I'm on board. Being that this is a found footage film, the camera is shaky at times so it makes it harder to pick apart and that works to its advantage. They also do a really good job here of bringing what we would think trolls would look like as well. I can be forgiving of them being a bit over the top and even almost a little bit cartoonish for that reason. Now as for the cinematography, this feels a lot like a Norwegian version of Cloverfield which I also enjoyed. This works better being that we're following a legit documentary crew, so I can understand why they're trying to record all of this for logical reasons. Now really the last thing I want to go into here would be the acting. I really like Jesperson and how he plays this role of Hans. He is a no-nonsense hunter that doesn't have much in the way of humor. What he is really good at and what he does is just getting a bit old for him. This is wearing on him and I can buy that this change of heart to allow this crew to film what he's doing. Tostarund is solid as this mostly on-camera person of their group. I like what happens to him as it goes on since he gets attacked that first night by a troll. And I knew something was up, but I kind of think it's cool the symptoms he's displaying and the explanation of everything with these trolls and how they kind of work together. Morak Larson and Ermila Berg-Domas, who also joins later as Malika, are all solid as well. I also really like that Hansen as Finn Hogan. He really fits this government role that he plays, and then the rest of the cast really just feels like normal people, which I would say I want for my found footage film, so I will give credit to that as well. And then just before I kind of get into my final thoughts here, I have some trivia. The film contains several references to old Scandinavian folklore, like I said. For example, the goats on the bridge and the troll under are reference to the three billy goats gruff. At one point, Callie mentions an eating competition. This is a reference to the story of Escaladin. The movie contains several characters played by Norwegian comedians, which makes sense. As it's kind of funny Is I guess, Jespersen, Knut, who is the power plant supervisor, Stolenberg, who is the Polish bear supplier, and Hansen is Finn, are all high-profile comedians, which I had no idea. And that's probably why they're so good in this movie, is that they're all about timing in general. The look of the trolls are influenced by painters like Theodore Kittelsen who did the forest troll, Christian troll, and the troll at the Carl Johann Street, and John Bauer, who did Roots Trolls, and look at them, Mother Troll said. Troll Hunter contains many references to culture and folktales, like I said. The belief that there are different species of trolls, trolls having a tail, multiple heads, the ability to smell Christian's blood, trolls eating rocks, but loving meat, and sometimes being man-eaters. The trolls are also described as big, old, strong, but slow and dim-witted, turning into stone when they exposed to sunlight. the film also has several specific references to traditional fairy tales as i said there's like the boots who ate a match with the trolls and then also another one is soria moria castle the painting by kittleson based on the soria moria castle fairy tale story is used as a backdrop for one of the trips that they do in the film thomas stands in the same pose and asks his friend do i look like that famous painting which i think is a kind of cool thing that they're playing with there summit entertainment bought the rights to produce american remake before this film's initial release which is kind of crazy now there's a scene here where a mountain in the back looks a lot like a troll's face go- looking upward and then the HDDs used by the students are the LaCie rugged portable drives as well so just to close this out i'm glad that i finally saw this movie it takes a subject matter that if it wasn't handled with care could be really cheesy I like that they take this realistic and scientific approach which also works for me and I love incorporating the Scandinavian folklore as well. The acting really feels real enough and the effects aren't great but I think that what they do with working them in is what was needed. Being that this is found footage that really helps as well. I don't really recall a soundtrack but that is mostly just the ambient noise which helps the realism the roars of these creatures are great and the creepy as well for my rating here i would say this is a good movie and one that i would recommend to found footage fans for sure there's a bit of shaky cam so if that's an issue i would avoid this the other thing is that this is norwegian so i had to watch this with subtitles so if that bothers you i would skip this as well but i came in with an 8 out of 10 on this movie i'm not going to do a spoiler section or anything like that so what i am going to do though is get you over to the trailer of my second featured review
1: How's that? Nazis. I don't care if it's Hitler's personal pleasure cruiser. This is the only ship that we've came across the last... This your voice now. He's right, Captain. The Russians are done. we got to get off this raft. Simple as that, Captain. You no, know what I think is strange. Come on, Captain. Hey, what was your on overboard? Oh, enough! All this... this fighting and shouting... no one comes to see. Mm-hmm. Engine's running, but nobody's home. I bet this tub's still crawling with crowds. I heard flyboys talking about gremlins causing all kinds of trouble. You know, whatever happened on this ship it wasn't gremlins, it was something far more real. They bought these caskets on board. One of these things got out. Bigger lot! Shit, fuck. Shapeshifters, they move by night, hunting. been killing monsters for years, a few more won't hurt.
0: Second featured review on this episode is going to be Blood Vessel from 2019. This is directed and co-written by Justin Dix, who co-wrote this with Jordan Prosser. This stars Nathan Phillips, Alyssa Sutherland, Robert Taylor, along with Christopher Kirby, Alex Cook, Mark Diaco, John Lloyd Fillingham, Troy Larkin, Vivian Perry, Ruby Isabel Hall, Steve Young. Jacinta Stapleton, Mackenzie Stevens, Dave Hughes, and Richard Mueck. And then this is a horror film that is from Australia that is currently sitting on a 5.3 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being lifeboat survivors board a German boat that's crawling with vampires during World War II. Now, this is one that I heard about a few months back after it hit Shudder, but this one didn't seem to get the buzz that some other movies were that were heading to, you know, streaming services that were getting over there. Now, there was some buzzwords for me like vampires, Nazis, and during World War II that really piqued my interest to give this a viewing. But what I'm going to do first is our director of Dix has six directing credits at this time. His first in genre would be Crawl Space from 2012 before returning with this movie here. Now, as a writer, he has eight credits total, three in genre. His first there was The Gates of Hell from 2008. He also wrote Crawl Space, and he isn't new to the genre, though, as he did work on The Babadook, Lake Mungo, also did some stuff on the prequel Star Wars trilogy, The Loved Ones, and Storm Warning. I'm assuming most of this is producing, as they're all from Australia, or at least had, you know, partly co-production there with, like, the Star Wars movies. So it does look like he's worked in the film industry. Now, as co-writer of Prosser has five writing credits. This is his first feature. Before he this, he had did three shorts that were in the genre. And then we have Nathan Phillips as an actor has 39 credits. In genre, he has four, and I've seen all of them now. He started this off with Wolf Creek, following it with one of the eight films to die for in the movie of Dying Breed. And then he then was in Chernobyl Diaries before this movie. Now, he was also in Snakes on a Plane, which isn't showing up as horror, but I have seen that one as well. Now, Alyssa Sutherland, I'm familiar with from the TV show of Vikings, where she is at first a princess and then becomes a queen on there. Now, she has 17 acting credits. Her first in genre was a movie called Don't Look Up from 2009. I haven't heard of that one, so I'm not really sure much about that. Now, she was in the Miss TV series before being in this movie. And the last actor I'll go over is the most accomplished of anybody that I've kind of gone over here today with Robert Taylor, as he has 71 acting credits his first horror credit was the tv miniseries of something is out there now his first horror feature though was storm warning which i do like and then he was also in rogue from the same year which is a fun little croc film and then he was also in something called the long weekend from 2008 an episode of the wolf creek tv series he was in the meg which i had fun with and now this movie as it seems like him and phillips seem to be actors from australia which kind of makes sense that they'd be working here with this as dick seems to be you know somebody who is based there and does a lot of work from there as well now for this movie we learn early on that we're in 1945 and we're at the end of the war the german u-boats are now targeting pretty much everything that's not german which includes medical boats and merchant vessels as the synopsis states we're in a lifeboat where the survivors look like they're having a rough go at it I was a bit confused here about the survivors that we have in this boat. The reason being is that we have like Nathan Sinclair, who is Phillips. He's Australian. We have Jane Prescott, who is Sutherland, and she's a nurse from the United Kingdom. Also from Britain is that we have the code breaker of Gerard Faraday, who is Fillingham. They're led by a Captain Malone, who is Taylor, who I believe was American, along with Lydell Jackson, who is Kirby. And then we have Jimmy Bigelow, who is Diego. And they're also joined by a Russian, Russian soldier of Alexander Teplov, who is portrayed by Cook. My confusion is here: we have such a cross kind of thing is that most of the everybody in this boat are allies, even though they might not trust the Russian here. But it's just kind of crazy that we have all these people from different countries that end up in this lifeboat, but I will, you know, let that go for now. This group is down as a storm rolls in, and they think things might be looking up, though, as there is a German ship approaching. It appears no one is on board as they near and no one calls out or tries to attack them. One of them sees a girl in white but then when he looks back that person is gone. Now they have to make a daring attempt to get onto the ship which results in Captain Malone not making it. Now it is indeed a ghost ship. They go about exploring to see what they're working with. Now in the bridge they find a dead body. It is dark and has funky looking veins and the neck is bent weird. The wheel is also chained for a set course. Bigelow, Jackson, and Teploff go to... The engine room to see what's going on down there and it's running hot and could explode at any moment jackson and alexa shut everything down here where bigelow disagrees what we kind of get here i thought was kind of cool is that we have some animosity between them that has finally come into a head now it is shut down to prevent destruction of the ship and then you know also preventing their death now they also realize that they aren't alone on this ship they discover a young girl of maya who is portrayed by hall there is something off about her though Bigelow also finds Nazi gold where Sinclair finds an odd box what looks like vials of liquid, a cross, and a dagger. The Nazis on board are mostly dead and much of it looks like suicide. They were after something dark and scarier than humanity can imagine. The problem though is that whatever they found is still alive or to be more specific is undead. Now I feel that would get you up to speed with the story that this movie is giving to us. As I was alluding to in my opening paragraph is that I love movies that are set with Nazis as the backdrop. A lot of that is i've learned throughout the years that they really were into the occult and trying to find a way to ensure that the third reich would last for a thousand years and those in power to live that long as well if possible what is interesting here is that they found a vampire and want to bring it back to germany this could be a way of turning the tide it also kind of feels a little bit like the video game of blood rain which i mean for that one you know in the original game you're actually you know rain as you're killing a bunch of you know nazis and everything like that where this movie, you know, we just have vampires with the Nazis. Now taking this, we're set on a boat. This is interesting is that the ship that we get on gives a bit more protection than the lifeboats that they were on. Now we see that there's something much more dangerous on this one as well, but the lifeboats on this German ship have been sabotaged. So at this stage, they're trapped. And that gives a little bit of a contained feel that I really enjoy. Now they're also on a German ship where everyone is a member of the Allies, so they have to be careful when calling for help. We also have a timeless feel while also feeling like it's World War II. They're subtle with the clothing, technology, and weaponry, so I will work in its favor, and I do feel like this movie might be able to hold up to this you know, test of time and everything like that because they're not ramming down our throat that you know this is in the past. Where I want to go next would be the creatures themselves. I can see why we have Teplov in this movie so he can recognize that Maya is speaking Romanian, which I didn't realize was a combination of like Russian, Italian, and some other languages from the area as well. He also gives us a bit of backstories of vampires he refers to them as strogoly which means undead when we finally see the patriarch of these vampires who is portrayed by larkin he looks a lot like count orlok from nosferatu just amping up the bat like features i thought this was fine there's a good touch here with the glowing red eyes and they're able to kind of hypnotize and control people which is you know something we definitely get with vampires in general Teplov also states that they can control animals and insects as an army and as I said we can also see that they can control people as things go on going along with this look I'll shift this over to the effects I think that they're all practical which is good the look of the vampires to the veins as someone is infected like this is a virus is something I really liked now, there's a bit of CGI that goes along with this as well, but to be honest, I really didn't have any issues with any of that there. There is some issues that i have with some green screen that was done in this movie that really just doesn't hold up for me, and there is some bad CGI, just not as much. I think there's some fire that I wasn't really the biggest fan of. Thankfully, this isn't a major issue because they don't really go to that well too much, so it does take me out slightly, but not as much as I have issues with other films. Aside from that, I would say the cinematography was good, and I had no issues there. the last thing i'll go into would be the acting which i thought was good in general phillips and cook were to me interesting the former is an aussie while the latter is supposed to be russian not that where they're really from affects their character but i think that they work well off of each other both of them try to keep their head down and do the right thing they're strong as our leads in my opinion sutherland is solid as this nurse what works for her though is that we learn that there's some darkness in her past as she lost her daughter and so she kind of buried herself in the war so if it comes to an end it kind of will have make her have to deal with her issues and i think that really works with where her character ends up aside from that i thought the rest of the cast was distinct and i can appreciate that if i have any issues here it's that the survivors with the writing and how they ended up on the lifeboat together it i just needed a little little bit more is it really imperative to the story in general no but just because i'm just kind of confused as to how all this kind of came together, so this is more of a me problem. I don't think most people will have this issue. The vampires were all good as well, so I will give that and they helped to round this out for what was needed as, you know, in a movie like this you need to have good creatures and I think that they're distinct enough as villains. Now before I close everything out here, I do have a little bit of trivia that I wanted to share, and literally just one piece, is that scenes were filmed on the HMAS Castle Main, a fully restored World War II Bathurst class Corvette which currently is docked at the Gem Pier at, in Williamston. So just to close this out though, I thought this was a pretty solid movie. It isn't one that blew me away, but it knows what it wants to do. For me, it ticks a lot of boxes of things that I find interesting like the supernatural and Nazis. The setting really works for me and given it that contained feel, I don't have any issues with the acting and really the only thing I question there is more from the writing. thought the effects were good for the most part, just some issues with some green screen CGI. What they did for the look of the vampires I was a fan of The soundtrack of this movie worked with a combination of the music and ambient noise in conjunction with each other. I don't think this is a great movie, but one that I did enjoy. For me, though, this one's above average, you know, just shy of being good, as I was saying. And I come in with a 7.5 out of 10 on this movie. So what I'm going to go ahead and do, though, that's all I have. I'm not going to do a spoiler section for this movie either, but I am going to get you over to one last musical break before I close out the show. I want to welcome you back one last time as I close out episode number 58 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If you want me to read any of the things that you send in there, just let me know in that. And if you don't want me to, also just kind of clarify either way. But I would like to hear you know feedback on what I'm doing with this show and you know what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like. If you'd like to read any of the reviews from this episode, it is, or any of the past ones, it's reviews of the dead, and that's horrorreview.webnode.com. If you'd like to become friends with me on Facebook, it's David Michigan Garrett Jr. On Twitter, it's Buckeye from Mish. Letterbox, it's David OSU. If you want to follow my Instagram, it's David OSU87. If you'd like to follow the journey with a cinephile Instagram, that's Journey with a Cinephile, and I will have all of the links down in the show notes for that. And then the last thing I would ask you to do is that whatever you're listening to this on, if you could go ahead and subscribe so you never miss a new episode, that would be greatly appreciated. And then also, whatever you're listening to this on, if you can go ahead and rate and review, that would also be greatly appreciated. Just so, again, I can figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like, just to make this the best show possible. Now, for the next episode, I did have a few movies lined up that I was going to watch, but I think I'm going to do some audibles with it. But I am going to watch The Devil's Pass as the wintry kind of Christmas type theme there. And then the other one originally was going to be one thing, but I think I'm going to end up watching anything for Jackson as the, you know, 2020 release that I watch on there because I've been hearing a lot of buzz about it and it sounds like one that I really need to watch for the end of the year. And then I'm also going to watch the 1960s film Brides of Dracula. I haven't seen that in some time. So I can keep up, you know, that journey through the odd stuff that I'm doing over there. Aside from that i don't really have anything else that i want to delve into so i won't keep you any longer than i already have what i will say though is that whatever you do today i hope you have a great time doing it and enjoy yourself this is your tour guide of david garrett jr signing off it had been a wonderful evening and what i needed now to give it the perfect
1: ending